0: So if you have a Bible, let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. I know that you guys are in the middle of a, or maybe beginning a series called Retell, looking at the Old Testament from a gospel point of view, trying to see Jesus uh, as he comes out in the Old Testament. Um, but I remember when, uh, when our kids were young, so we have four children, uh, when they were growing up, maybe some of you that have had kids grow up in your home, you've had this experience my wife would spend a good amount of time getting dinner ready. All right, so she would cook dinner, we'd set the table, we'd have everything ready to go. And we'd holler upstairs or outside, wherever the kids were playing, and they would run in, they would sit down, we'd have a blessing. And then within about 10 minutes, the table, the dining room was a mess, and they just took off back to whatever it was that they were doing. And I remember my wife saying on several occasions, why do we go to all this trouble, spend all this time cooking this food, setting up the dining room, setting the table for them to rush in here, make a mess of things, and then rush right back out? Well, that is exactly what is happening in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, during this great creation narrative, everything's perfect, Everything is prepared perfectly for Adam and Eve and for this great relationship that they're going to have with the Lord and with each other. And within a matter of about 15 minutes, when you turn the page to Genesis chapter 3, what happens? It becomes a mess. Everything becomes a mess. And that's what we're going to look at in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. So if you have a Bible, we're going to read together uh, the whole chapter, actually, Genesis 3, 1 through 24. I know it's a little bit of a long chapter, but we're going to be looking at several different portions of it this morning. So from Genesis 3, um, hear the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, and knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat, and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. So, we want to look at three things from our text this morning. The first is going to be the fall. Okay, see, what is it? What do we mean when we say the fall of Adam and Eve? Then we're going to look at the fallout of the fall. What are the repercussions of Adam and Eve's sin for us and for all of humanity? And then third, we want to see is there any hope? Is there hope even in the fall of Adam and Eve here in Genesis 3? So, first, we want to explore. Fall. So theologians refer to the fall as the overall event of the sin or the disobedience of Adam and Eve and how it affected all of humanity and all of creation. Now, I really like referring to it as well as the rebellion. right, because the rebellion, it reminds me of Hunger Games. If you've seen Hunger Games, you know that Katniss Everdeen led District 12 in the rebellion, right, against the capital district. But the rebellion sort of, it speaks to the intentional act of disobedience by Adam and Eve, where the fall is sort of this overall event of the world falling into sin, into ruin, into decay. But as we think about the fall, I want us to look at the craftiness of this serpent character, this serpent who is representing Satan, and he does a couple of things in his dialogue with Eve. Maybe you picked up on this, but one thing he does, the first thing that the craftiness of the serpent does is he makes the commands of God to seem more demanding than they actually were. Did you notice that? He makes the commands of God to seem more demanding than they actually were. Because what was God's command to Adam and Eve? At the end of chapter 2, God said to Adam, look at all this fruit in this garden. He said, you guys can eat from any tree in the garden that you want to, except for the one tree. The one tree in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But did you notice the words of the serpent? The serpent said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Do you hear the twist in his words? While God was being gracious and generous and giving them all but one tree in the garden, the serpent likes to twist those words and say, did God say you shouldn't eat of any of the trees in the garden? And the worst part is, is that Eve picks up on this. Because did you see Eve's response? She said in verse 3, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. So even Eve took the command of God and made it to sound more demanding than it actually was. This reminds me of, you know, my kids. I've got three older ones. So they've all been driving a while. They've all been going out with friends hanging out, and we always have a curfew for them, right? And we're, we've got a pretty generous curfew with our kids. But it's sort of like giving your kids a curfew. Let's say midnight. I mean, midnight, is pretty generous. Go. Go out to your friends. Go to Sonic. Go to Cookout. Whatever it is y'all are doing, just be home at midnight. And the kid's doing what? They're complaining. Gosh, Dad, why do we have to be home at midnight? They make the command of Dad seem more demanding than it actually is when in reality man they get to hang out till midnight with friends doing whatever that's great god gave them every tree in the garden but one but the serpent wanted it to sound so much worse but we're the same way aren't we god gives us commands just give me back 10 percent of all that i give to you man and we think that's so demanding right Just reserve the goodness of sex within marriage, between a man and a wife. Oh, and we just think that's so restrictive, that's so demanding, right? I mean, we could go through the commands that God gives us. And in our flesh, and in the, the, the craftiness of the serpent, they make the demands of God seem way more demanding than they actually are. But it's not just the commands. He also, here's what else the the serpent did. He made the punishment of God seem less severe than it actually was. Because what was the punishment that God was going to give Adam and Eve if they did, in fact, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? If you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, what did the serpent say? You will not surely die. God knows when you eat it, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be like him. He takes the punishment that God was going to give, and he made it sound less severe than it was. We do the same thing, don't we? I can dabble in sin. I can dabble in disobedience. I can do this, that, or the other. And is it really going to hurt me? Is it really going to hurt others We downplay the consequences of sin in our own life. And the last thing that the the serpent does, he makes the sin seem so desirable. What? My eyes are going to be opened? I can be like God if I do this? That sounds good. And then look at what Eve does. What does she do? She looked at the fruit and she saw that it was pleasing to the eye. Man, that looks good that looks tasty. God must be holding out on me. Sin looks good. Sin looks desirable. And the serpent, Satan, is no dummy, right? He plays to our weaknesses. He did this for Adam and Eve, and he does this to us. Whatever it is that looks good to us, that is what the enemy is going to come after us with. And the results, if we take the bait, are devastating they're devastating. So that is what is happening in the fall. That's what's happening in the rebellion of Adam and Eve. But now I want to look at the fallout. Okay, the fallout. What are the results of Adam and Eve's disobedience? What happened as a result of them eating this fruit? A couple of things that it does. Um, First, the fall broke the relationship between God and humanity. It broke the relationship. If we think back to Genesis 1 and 2, the creation narrative, and we think about the way that the Bible describes God creating Adam, the Bible says that God put Adam together from the dust of the ground, and then God breathed life into Adam, right? He gave him the breath of life. So if we take that creation narrative, And we think to ourselves, what is the first thing that Adam saw when his eyes were opened and he breathed? What was the first thing that he saw? The face of God. He was looking into the face of God. He had this perfect, intimate relationship with his creator. Adam and Eve had a perfect, intimate relationship with their creator. Creator. Our kids' catechism says what? That Adam and Eve were happy and holy. They were happy with each other. They were happy in the garden. They were happy with the Lord and they were holy. But what happens here in this passage? After they eat the fruit and their eyes are opened, what do they see? Their nakedness, their shame, their guilt. And they actually go and they hide from the Lord so the Lord comes through the garden looking for them and they have to say what we hid from you because we realized we were naked the first time in human history that they were separated in their relationship with the Lord and then what did we see at the end of this chapter what does God do he banishes them out of the garden so they won't take the fruit from the tree and he puts the cherubim with the flaming swords to protect the garden Their relationship is completely broken from the Lord, and because their relationship is broken, because of their act of disobedience, what does it do for us? It plunges us into this condition of sin as well, right? All of us are born now into a condition of sinfulness. In other words, a condition where our natural impulse, is to turn towards sin our natural impulse is to turn away from the lord our natural impulse is what our will be done not the lord's will be done that's our natural impulse because of the sin of adam and eve often like to say that we are now bad people who do bad things right we're sinful people who sin that's because of the fall of adam and eve That's because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. That's the fallout of the fall. And now, how much of us is affected by this sin? Every part of us, right? Our minds are affected. Our wills are affected. Our desires are affected. No part of us is immune from the fallout. No part of us. Thomas Boston, one of the Puritans, says that the fall infiltrates our understanding, our wills, our affections, our conscience, and our memories. And so, just as Adam and Eve were separated from the Lord after they sinned, when we are born, we are born separated from the Lord. And everything else flows from this. But is that all? Was it just the relationship between us and the Lord that was broken? because of the fall? No. The fall broke the relationship between humanity as well. And we see this a couple of times as God is giving out these curses. Uh, We see one curse in verse 16 that there is now going to be pain in the fruit of intimacy, right? There's going to be pain in childbearing, and there's going to be tension, to say the least, And this relationship that God has created between Adam and Eve, at the very least, according to verse 16, there's going to be a power struggle there between man and woman. All sorts of distortions of relationships in the marriage and in all relationships, as we'll see in a second. But also verse 17, right? Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, right? There's going to be tension there because Adam listened to the voice of his wife, and now that relationship between them is broken. But it's not just marriage relationships. You know what happens in Genesis chapter 4? Sibling rivalry, right? Cain and Abel, brothers going at each other. The first murder happens in Genesis 4 between Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve set us on a crash course for broken relationships, broken marriages, sibling rivalry, family brokenness, racial tension, international tensions, wars and rumors of war. Any animosity that you can name between humanity is a result of the fall here. It's part of the fallout. That's what we see in Genesis 3. That's what we experience in our own lives today But lastly, the fall broke the relationship between humanity and creation. Between humanity and creation. Uh, We'll see verse 15, and we'll come back to this in a minute, but there's now enmity between who? The serpent and the seed of the woman, right? And then we see enmity between Adam and the ground, right? Adam's got to till the ground. He's got to subdue it, take care of it, and the ground is fighting back with thorns and thistles and the sweat of Adam's brow. One of the things I like to talk about is the fact that in creation, God gave each of us um, the heart cry of influence, having influence, right? That God entrusted the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve's care. He entrusts all of us with some sphere of responsibility and influence. But because of the fall, now that influence is going to be difficult, painful, painful, toilsome, right? Any of us that work a job, we know that. Any of us that care for our homes, we know that. Any of us that parent children, we know how difficult it can be. Because of Genesis 3, because of the fall, we see this dynamic at play now where there is constant tension and brokenness in the relationship between humanity and creation. So we've got the fall, this rebellion, and we've got the fallout. What are the results? We saw some of those, but is there hope? Is there any hope in Genesis 3, or does God just sort of banish Adam and Eve out of the garden, and he's going to go back, start over, figure out plan B? What is going on in Genesis 3? I want us to think for just a second. Over the past few years, past few years in our world, through the lens of the creation and fall, you know, we have experienced a lot of what Genesis 3 is leading us to, don't, haven't we? I mean, we've experienced in our world this disease that's wreaked havoc on our world the last few years, right? This interplay between humanity and creation. We've seen all this animosity over who has influence in our country, right? Between political parties and presidential candidates and how because of that, there is this struggle between humanity over and over and over and over again. Uh, we've seen Christians suffer horribly around the world. And we've seen even in the U.S. fear of religious liberty, maybe slipping away a little bit. And we've seen this obvious tension between man and God. We have seen results of the fall in our own nation, in our own communities, in our own world. But is there any hope for Genesis 3, or is there any hope for us now? We've gone from the highest of highs, Adam and Eve, happy and holy, enjoying the garden, enjoying each other, enjoying the presence of the Lord, to the lowest of lows, where all of that was broken. Is there absolutely any hope? And yes, there is incredible hope. Even in Genesis 3, there's hope. There is hope. And it's just like God to do this, right? That with his prized possession, even as they quickly turned in rebellion towards him, he still is full of grace and mercy and love towards him. And I want to look at at least two ways that he shows us hope as we finish up this morning. And the first is in verse 15. So let's look at that together. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right? What a great promise. This is a promise for what is to come, that even though the craftiness of this serpent has wreaked havoc among you, Adam and Eve, and now havoc in your own personal lives, havoc in your world, there is coming a day where this serpent will try to strike the hill of your offspring, but your offspring is going to crush the head, bruise the head of this serpent. There is going to be ultimate destruction for this serpent and his craftiness. And that is our hope. That's our hope. That one day after Genesis 3, someone is coming along that can crush the serpent on our behalf and begin to make all the wrongs right again. That's the hope that we have. And that's how the story of Scripture, the story of grace, plays out through history. When we're told exactly who this offspring is, exactly who this seed of Eve is. Paul, the apostle, tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, at the end of that great chapter on the resurrection of Jesus, he says that at the end, Jesus will deliver the kingdom over to God the Father. After destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. Why? Because Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That serpent will be under the feet of Jesus, is under the feet of Jesus because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent, through his death and resurrection. But we see a second hope here. And I don't know if you noticed this. Even though Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, did you notice what God did for them before he banished them? Look at verse 20, 21. The Lord God made for Adam and Eve and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. In other words, after Adam and Eve ate this fruit, The Bible tells us, we read that their eyes were opened, that they realized that they were naked. They realized they were ashamed. They were ashamed of what they had done. They felt the weight, the shame, the guilt of their sin and their disobedience to the Lord. But you know what the Lord did in his grace? He covered them up. He covered them up. He provided these animal skins to clothe them before he turns them away from the garden you know, it's the same thing that God does for us in Jesus today. Jesus is our covering. Jesus's righteousness is our covering. I love 2 Corinthians 5, that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, that in him we might be the what? The righteousness of God. You see, in the grace of the Lord, he clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus. That is his gift to us. And we see the promise of that right here in verse 21 at the end of Genesis 3. We see the promise of the serpent being crushed under the authority of Jesus. And we see the promise of all sinners being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus for those that are looking to him and faith so as we think about this personally in our own lives what has sin wrecked in your life we've seen what sin did to Adam and Eve here what has it wrecked in our own lives obviously it's wrecked our relationship with God we'll come back to that in a second what about your relationships have you seen sin wreck your relationships maybe marriage Maybe in your relationship with kids, your relationship with family, your relationship with friends, we all experience the brokenness of relationships because of sin, because of the fall, because of the fallout. What about in your desires? You know, Eve's desire was, man, that fruit looks really good. What are the things that look really good to your eyes? The things that look really good to your flesh the things that you've chased after that have left you empty that have left you used and abused have you experienced sin and your ability to provide man providing for your family is a hard thing isn't it and when you see bills coming in that equal more than paychecks coming in it's really hard We're experiencing what Adam was experiencing in the garden, figuring out how do we provide for our families. Sin has wrecked that. It's difficult. It's toilsome. And certainly in our relationship with God, sin has wrecked our relationship with the Lord. We have chased other things. We have chased our own will. But here is hope, that even in our sin and rebellion, God offers us hope this morning that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Even in our sin, he promises us forgiveness. I love the song we sang this morning. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the what? By the fall, right? By the fall. We are bruised and broken because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. But when do you come to Jesus? When you're better? No. The next line says, if you tarry until you're better, you'll you'll never come to him. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that you don't have to get better to come to Jesus. Jesus comes to you. Jesus comes to you and he gives you himself. He gives you his righteousness. He clothes you with what you need most. So, Two things to encourage your hearts first look to Jesus in faith he is the only one who offers forgiveness for your sin he is the only one who can reconcile you to the Lord and he's the only one that can begin to reconcile all these other messes that we're making because of the fallout of the fall so look to Jesus in faith But look to Jesus and hope as well. Look to Jesus and hope. Even in that relationship with the Lord, you know, we still experience the havoc caused by the fall, right? I mean, we are not immune from it. Just because we're Christians, just because we're trusting in Jesus for our salvation doesn't mean that we're immune to all of the things going on. We are all experiencing the havoc of this fall right here in Genesis 3 whether it's caused by our own sin or just the sin of the world pressing in on us, we've all experienced it. And Jesus is our only hope. He's our hope in this life. He is our hope in this life to begin putting pieces back together. Now, that doesn't mean that we trust in Jesus and everything gets better, but it does mean that it's only through Jesus that we can begin putting pieces back together in our life. Jesus is our only hope for this life, but He's certainly our only hope for the life to come. He's certainly our only hope for the life to come. And, you know, there is a day coming where there will be no more results of the fall. That's going to be a great day. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more brokenness in our relationships, no more brokenness in our relationship with God, all of that is going to be done away with when Jesus makes all things new. So can we pray together and ask God to strengthen our faith in him and for God to strengthen our hope that he will make things right again? Let's pray. God, we are so thankful For the gospel, even in the midst of sin and rebellion and fallenness and brokenness. God, we're so thankful that even when Adam and Eve were running and hiding from you, you pursued them. You gave them a promise of hope and you even clothed them. And Lord, even in our own hearts, when we're running from you towards our own sin, towards our own foolishness, to fulfill the desires of our flesh you pursue us and you give us hope for forgiveness and for those that are looking to you in faith you clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus and so God would you strengthen our faith this morning may we look to you alone for our salvation and would you strengthen our hope or as we experience difficulty and trials and tribulations and struggles in this life help us to know You are our only hope in this life and in the world to come. Lord, come and strengthen us by your Holy Spirit and by your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.